0: Hey everyone, my name is O.J. Tucker, host of the O.J. Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is O.J. Tucker, as the name would suggest, Happy Tuesday, Happy New Year, and a happy belated Merry Christmas to all of you. I know I spent the past two weeks not doing the podcast, or a week or so not doing the podcast. I uploaded a State of the Film Address with my good buddy, Nathan Long, on Thursday, So go check it out if you haven't already, but again Merry Christmas. Happy belated Christmas to all of you. Happy New Year's Hopefully you're starting off the new year right spending time with your family your friends watching tennis along the way Uh, As you can probably tell on my YouTube channel or on YouTube that I did switch up the setup So hopefully this is a little bit better than previously. I know I don't have the uh, Football teams in the back of my American map. Uh, It's a new American map. It's an entirely different setup I listened to your suggestions not to have the shadow in the background. So hopefully this is a little bit better. Uh, if not, then obviously leave me a comment down below as to how I can improve the setup. And I'll definitely, definitely listen to your advice and uh, take the appropriate steps to better the podcast. But there's some news out uh, with outside of the tennis world that we can get into for today. In terms of news outside of the tennis world, we can talk about Betty White and Joe Nidian's passing and what it means in terms of just overall life and, and, you know, how their debts have sort of not really affected me, but sort of really changed my perspective on, you know, what really matters in life. Uh, We can discuss Jake Paul roasting Dana White for fighter pay and just how brilliant and and how executed, how greatly executed it was this past Saturday, Sunday weekend, if you haven't checked it out already. We can discuss Joe Rogan believing that Michelle Obama can win the presidency. I think he stated that with Tim Dillon uh, that it was released on Christmas Eve. We can discuss Ghislaine Maxwell found not guilty. Uh, as well as uh, my weekly pick, which should be a pretty fun popcorn flick if you haven't already checked it out. Uh, But for today, we'll start off with some tennis news. And obviously, as we all know, the ATP uh, Cup has commenced. It started and Novak Djokovic has withdrawn from it, uh, which not much of a shocker. Novak Djokovic does prepare more so for... Uh, majors and for ATP 1000 tournaments not so much the smaller minuscule tournaments so that's not much of a shock but the shock really is uh, that it started already and uh, Serbia is still in it I think I'm pretty sure Serbia is still in it Uh, but I won't really discuss it too much I won't really discuss the Sydney Cup uh, too much for today instead I'll actually give a fun brain exercise for you guys and where I'll start off for today is can a Novak Djokovic in his prime beat a prime Federer? I'm just, you know, letting this you know question out there. Uh, I think this is a very important question to ask and uh, to sort of give out for individuals, because I think this really is a question that people have. And I think it's very fun and enjoyable to at least discuss it. So let's look at Federer's prime years. Let's go all the way back to 2000 and the early 2000s when Bush was still in office and you know crazy things ha- were happening in our foreign policy and whatnot. Uh, Federer's prime years were between, in my opinion, Federer's prime years were between 2004 to 2009. Federer won the U.S. Open five times, the Wimbledon five times, again Australian Open three times, and the French Open once. And if you guys don't know, he won the French Open in 2009 against Robin Söderling, his first and only win at the French Open. Uh, Now let's take a look into Djokovic's prime years. And now this can be sort of speculative, it can sort of be debated, uh, but in my opinion, I think Novak Djokovic's prime years were between the years of 2011 to uh, 2021. And to me, those were his prime years. And obviously, you know, people may say 2021 wasn't his prime year, but again, he won three Grand Slams, so I do think that is his that should be in discussion of his prime year. And when you look at his t- his tenure during his prime years or his wins during his prime years, he won the U.S. Open three times, Wimbledon six times, Australian Open eight times, and French Open twice. And one was against Andy Murray, the other one was against uh, Stefano Tsitsipas. And if we're going to have a discussion here, I think you can make the case as to why Novak Djokovic's prime years were better than that of Federer's, and part of it is because of again you have to look at the entire package of it all, right? So if you look at Federer's early years, and this is no disrespect to his opponents or whatnot, but when you look at his wins, especially that of say the Australian Open, uh, they're they're not that great. Uh, no no disrespect to any of his opponents. Uh, but they weren't in the same spot as, say, a Djokovic, right? With a Djokovic, you you instantly remember the 2019 Wimbledon final that he had against Roger Federer, right? The one that didn't have any tie breaks at the fifth set uh, and, you know, with the woman, you know, pointing one uh, because Roger Federer was actually one point away from winning it all. uh, But Federer, in my opinion, kind of choked it out. Uh, When you think about that, you think of, you know, Novak Djokovic's uh close wins against Andy Murray earlier in the Australian Open you know you think of his wins against Rafa Nadal as well you know I mean when you think of that last French Open semifinal they both had I mean that was one of the best matches of 2021 I actually uh discussed discussed that on my podcast uh go check it out on my podcast clips channel it's top five tennis matches 2021 uh that's one of the best one of the best matches of that year and it rightfully should be at the top spot of the 2021 best matches so in my opinion, if you had to sort of debate and discuss it, and this is just a fun exercise, I, I don't want you know the Federer fanboys to get after me or the Djokovic uh, fans to get after me. You know, this is just a fun brain exercise. I think, in terms of who was the better player, uh, I think a, pr- a Novak Djokovic in his prime is a better player than that of a prime Federer. Again, this is no disrespect to Federer; he's still one of the best of all time, the one of the best to ever do it. But if he had to really sort of uh, critique their overall performances and to see whether or not which one was a better player and for the amount of time spans, for the amount of time that Djokovic was at a top, you got to pick Djokovic. And I think Novak Djokovic is still proving himself to be one of the best to ever do it. And I think he's going to solidify himself, if not already, the GOAT if he wins another major. And maybe that's going to be the Australian Open. Who knows? I think it's going to be. uh, If I had to make a prediction on the Australian Open, it's probably going to be uh, Daniil Medvedev and Novak Djokovic just duking it out. Number one, number two. Uh, I think that's going to be the Australian Open final. But overall, I I, I do think that a prime Djokovic is a better player than that of a prime Federer. And I think that's something that you know a lot of people may not like to hear, but it, it is the truth. And uh, in my opinion, I, I think that again, there are very few people that can beat Djokovic. You know, it's it's very difficult to beat a Novak Djokovic. You know, Andy Murray did it in 2013, and that was like one of the only few times he won against Novak Djokovic. Again, the 2012 US Open final as well. Sorry if I gave you ear ear you know audible for pre- pressing my chin on on the microphone. Sorry about that. Uh, but yeah. It's, it's one of those things where it's very difficult to beat Novak Djokovic. You know, I mean, Daniil Medvedev did that last year. You know, it's one of those things where it's very difficult to beat him. So when it does happen, it does show you that even the strongest can sort of have its weak links. But even then, uh, Novak Djokovic, in my opinion, uh, is still proving to, to be the, one of the best players to ever do it, if not the best, and his prime is unmatched with any other tennis player living or lo- or dead. So I do think that a prime Novak Djokovic can beat a prime Federer. And we'll never see it, but it's just a fun discussion to have. And uh, yeah, it's just a nice way to start off the tennis year by just having this sort of discussion ha- uh, occur and to allow the ins- ensuing drama and, and uh, people discussing to happen. So a prime Djokovic, in my opinion, can beat a prime Federer. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that's one of those things where uh, people sort of discuss and and you know it's 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 a fun scenario it's like you know could a prime Agassiz beat a prime Murray or you know it's one of those like sort of barstool arguments or barstool discussions that you may have with your folks uh, you know when, when you're watching a game like could a when you're watching a football game can a prime Tom Brady beat a prime Terry Bradshaw probably so uh, yeah, it's one of those discussions where it's fun to have, honestly. Like, it's very fun to sort of debate and discuss, and to uh, point out the hypotheticals of this uh, scenario and situation. And and yeah, it's just great to see. You know, it's it's great to have those conversations whenever those conversations may occur. So um, yeah, hopefully the lighting's okay. Uh, this is a new setup, so hopefully uh, you guys are completely fine uh, with what the lighting is. Uh, hopefully, I, I've sort of. Handed out on both sides. There's li- there's a light on my right. There's a light to- there's a uh, light to my left. Uh, so hopefully it matches out and there's no shadow in the background. Uh, but yeah, this is this is interesting. This is fun. Um, all right, as I've said in my previous podcast episodes, I'm going to be plugging some dates. So tomorrow on January fourth, I will be performing at Steve's Piner's Tavern at seven o'clock in Billerick, Massachusetts. Go check it out. Uh, Wednesday, I will be at Tavern at the End of the World in Charlestown, Massachusetts at 8 p.m. Charlestown, Massachusetts, if I haven't said that already. And I'll be at Donahue's Bar and Grill this Sunday at Watertown, Massachusetts, 7.30 p.m., uh, go check it out. It's completely free. Just support the bar and the restaurant. Just uh, doing some comedy. If you haven't already checked it, checked it already, I did release a clip of my stand-up on my YouTube channel called Coming Out of White Trash. Got some views here and there. But uh, hopefully you guys check it out if you haven't already. I, it's one of my first jokes, and you can probably tell because the laughs per minute were not that great. But just inside baseball comedy talk. If you guys don't know laughs per minute, it's the amount of laughs you get within a certain minute it, it's self-explanatory uh so hopefully you guys like the video uh spent some time you know working crafting the joke you know i know it's inside baseball to talk about comedy but you know for me like it's yeah ha- i have to write things down and test it out on stage and see if it works see if it sticks you know i mean the whole por- purpose of comedy is to make mistakes and to fail and you know fail upwards if if that uh so yeah so go check it out if you haven't already um and uh those are the dates i'll be playing at so go check it out uh go check me out at those uh places completely free just support the bar support the restaurant and yeah let's let's get into our next bit of discussion here uh news outside of the tennis world so Gilan maxwell was found guilty of sex trafficking this is from the wall street journal uh british socialite giland maxwell was found guilty wednesday on five of six criminal criminal counts in her sex trafficking case capping federal prosecutors pushed to bring longtime confidants of disgraced financier jeffrey Epstein to justice after five days of deliberation a federal jury jury in new york convicted miss maxwell on Wednesday, for what pro- prosecutors said was her role in helping Epstein sexually abuse underage teens, on the most serious count, sex trafficking in minors, the jury found Miss Maxwell guilty. That counts carries a maximum sentence of 40 years in prison. A sentencing date hasn't been scheduled yet. So she's been found guilty. Uh, I think, as the uh, uh, as the old saying goes, "Ding dong, the witch is dead," and. Uh, from The Wizard of Oz. I've never watched The Wizard of Oz, but if there was any uh, in indication or if there was any sort of example that would explain that quote uh, to the best, it would be this uh, quote. Uh, Ghislaine Maxwell is, is, is a disgusting human being. Her and Jeffrey Epstein, it, it's just disgusting to hear uh, the fact that all these billionaires were so I don't want to say this word, but pussy to get actual, uh, women and they had to resort to their last thing, which is go to an Island and do the unthinkable that in and of itself is sad and disturbing. And, you know, it's, it's good to see the justice system work. You know, I mean, the, I know people like to hate on the justice system, but it does work. You know, I mean, Kyle Rittenhouse is not guilty Ahmaud Aubrey's, you know, murderers are found guilty. Ghislaine Maxwell is found guilty. The The justice system kind of works. And maybe it's because of the George Floyd case. Maybe that's the reason when there was a spark and a change in the justice system. But overall, like there's a, the justice system does work in America. And do I believe that Ghislaine Maxwell will be, will be found alive in the next three, four or five years? Hell no. I mean, she's probably going to get epstein I mean, everybody is going to get Epstein if you are working with or on behalf of the Mossad. I mean, that's just what's going to happen to you. You're going to be, uh, you know, you're going to be dead. Uh, you know, they are probably going to get tipped off. Uh, the bo- The bodyguards, the security guards, are going to probably going to are probably going to be tipped off. You know, it, it's it's one of those things where you know, there's so many people that are involved, you know, I mean, we're we're not talking about like, football players or athletes. I mean, no, we're talking about billionaires, we're talking about people that run the world, we're talking about individuals that are working with the Saudis and with the Mossad, you know, we're talking about individuals that, you know, have black money, you know, people, we're, we're not talking about not even billionaires, like people that just buy and sell oil and natural resources these are the individuals that actually have wealth and actually have power those that own these certain ind- individual things that we all use on a day-to-day basis these are the individuals that are complicit in the aiding of the trafficking of giland maxwell you know and, and these individuals that you know are or you know in their early to young teens i mean these are You know, these are the individuals that, you know, spread havoc, you know, and Tim Dillon, who is a very funny comedian, uh, really brought a good point up on Joe Rogan's podcast that he had on Christmas Eve where he's like, all these billionaires probably have multiple islands, you know, that are still running, that are doing this. I mean, it's just not Elon Maxwell, right? It's a bunch of other individuals that are just as complicit in this uh, and, and are, you know, just doing things for, um, again, sorry for, I, I need to give, send my, I need to sort of give me some space between the microphone and, and my mouth. But, uh, yeah, there's so many individuals that are probably still doing this. Uh, and it's kind of sad, but it, it shouldn't be surprising for a lot of people. So, uh, yeah, the Gile Maxwell thing, it's, it's very sort of, it's it's sad news all around. It really is. I mean, it's good that she's found guilty, obviously. I mean, I'm not going to shed a tear over her. But, you know, it is sad to see this thing happen in, in real time. And uh, people, um, you know, I mean, let's think about Epstein. I mean, the Epstein news dropped in September of 2019. It was hot for, the news was hot for like a week or so on mainstream media or on the corporate press. And then all of a sudden, it just became taboo to talk about. It became something that uh a very you know podcast and alternative media or uh people that succeeded on youtube it was the only thing that youtubers really talked about and not so much the corporate press so i think that the giland maxwell thing if it already hasn't already begun uh this will just cycle for youtubers and for alternative media not so much the corporate press so it's sad to see, but I think that's going to be the end result of it all. Just more and more people on YouTube talking about it and less and less people discussing it on corporate feeds and corporate mediums, uh, which is kind of sad, but that's what happens. I mean, so many people, so many high influences power are wrapped around this. So it's it's not going to be uh, good information, you know, and I hate to bring tennis into this, but that's why I, I didn't, but I mean, obviously, like, I think Peng Shui should be free. I think Peng Shui should be free. I think we should all do our part to uh, raise awareness for her. But when I saw individuals on the right sort of use the Peng Shui news to just further interventionism in China and to further economic sanctions in China and tennis journalists siding and aiding with people on the right and, and some people on the left as well uh, for, uh you know the punk shui news and don't get me wrong like we should all free punk shui but when, when i heard tennis journalists say wow can you believe that a country is silencing uh victims of sexual assault can you believe that and i'm like no i can wow this is so new this is new information for me tell me more about how a country is complicit in silencing sexual abuse victims tell me more, I mean, this is such a new revelation for me, I mean, like, come on, like, understand that this is, a like, this, this is America, we are in a country that uh, does silence sex victims, I mean, and if, if it's not Ghislaine Maxwell, it's, it's, it's Larry Nasser it, it's, I gotta change this microphone setup, if it's not, if it's not uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, it's Larry Nasser, you know, it's, it's all these other individuals. It's Jerry Sandusky. I mean, we can go on and on and on of sexual abuse victims that have been silenced for so long, the Weinsteins of the world. I mean, there's so many to count off the top of your head, you know? So when I see people, you know, journalists or people that cover tennis be like, well, can you believe this is happening? You know, China's doing this, you know, America, we're so free. We don't have to worry about this. It's like, no, we, we kind of do have to worry about it, you know, and maybe even more. So, if we're going to be quite honest here, uh, so yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, this is good news. Gillian Maxwell is found guilty, but I mean, let's be honest: the billionaires they've created their own islands because of this, you know. If probably maybe ten, maybe even fifteen, I mean, let's let's be honest here: they've created a lot of islands if they haven't already uh, to continue this. These heinous heinous crimes these heinous heinous crimes um so yeah that's just my overall thought process on all this uh Ghislaine maxwell is a very guilty individual and i shed no tear for her uh you know and she's probably going to get epstein in jail i mean tale as old as time but yeah uh let's get into our next bit of discussion here uh joe rogan uh believes that michelle obama could win the presidency so this is from the daily mail Podcast host Joe Rogan has backed Michelle Obama to beat Donald Trump if she decides to run in the 2024 presidential election. The comedian said that the only thing that could prevent victory for the former first lady would be if she showed any support for lockdowns and mandates and all this craziness that's going on. She's great. She's articulate. She's intelligent. She's the wife of the best president that we have had in our lifetime. She can win, Rogan said. He joked that Obama 57 could team up with Vice President Kamala Harris as a running mate producing a double dose of diversity. Uh, speaking on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast, he said that a Republican super team lining up against the pair would beat Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. They have to make a super team. That's the only way they can win, Rogan stated. All right, so there's a lot to chew on this bone. Uh, first off, do I think Michelle Obama could win the presidency? Do I, believe, do I agree with Joe Rogan? Um, I think she could. Uh, do I think she'll run? Probably not because she's raking in money. I mean, she think about the amount of money that she makes on speaking engagements. Think about the amount of money that she makes going on tour. Think about the amount of money that she's made on books. Does she want to jeopardize that amount of money from stay-at-home moms and from the Ellen DeGeneres audience and fan base to run for a presidential election or to run for president? I mean, there's a lot of money that's left on the table one year running for president i mean how much money does the president really make like 400k maybe some black money donors involved but still it doesn't match that of how much money they make from going on tour so michelle obama i don't think she will run for president does do i think she has a chance to if she does of course of course do you know how uncharismatic kamala harris is like do you understand how unchar- uncharismatic P. Buttigieg's, like, assuming that Joe Biden, you know, drops out of the race come 2024, which is a good possibility. I mean, he's uh, not there, co- like, cognitively, he's not there anymore. Uh, P. Buttigieg and Kamala Harris are devoid of a personality. Michelle Obama, in terms of, like, the neoliberal, like, alleyway of the Democratic Party, in terms of, like, the DNC, pro DNC version, corporate version, oligarchic version of the of the Democratic Party. I mean Michelle Obama is the most likable out of all of the individuals on in the Democratic Party sphere. I mean, like think about all the individuals that were like pro-corporate, pro-establishment Democrats that ran in 2020, right? Like Mike Bloomberg, cory Booker, I mean these individuals, I mean, they're nothing. I mean they're they're not likable whatsoever (laughs) at all. So I I do think that if Michelle Obama does run then she does have a chance to to win. Uh but I I think that she would be you know leaving so much money on the table if she does run because again those speaking engagements are a lot of money. I mean just to ask her husband Barack Obama as soon as he got about as soon as he got out of office. You know the amount of meetings he did with Wall Street because of the fact that he bailed them out in his first year of office. I mean it's just one of those things where Michelle Obama can succeed and can do well. I just don't think it it would be wise of her to do. I mean, because there, I'm sure there's a lot of moderate, conservative women that may vote Republican, but still like Michelle Obama. I mean, and honestly, like, when when I look at Michelle Obama, like, if, if I saw her in office, I would probably look at her in a different way. Uh, but in her time as, like, first lady, she actually went after, like, the food industry and the food and drug industry. Like, she went after, like... All these sort of sugary snacks and all these sugary uh, businesses and tried to make uh, school lunches healthier for people so I actually kind of like her on that front. I do think it's important to live an active healthy lifestyle and get children to eat more healthy and not have these horrible horrible foods in our in our public schools with you know these sugary addicted drinks and and whatnot so on that front in accord, I do agree with her but, I mean, if she's in office, she's she's just going to continue the same policies her husband did, which is increase the warfare state, increase our security apparatus. And I'm not really in for that. I'm not really in support of that. You know, I think if you want to live a life of liberty, I think it's important to be non-interventionist. I think it's important by cracking down on the NSA, on the CIA. I mean, those are just some steps to a more productive society if we're going to Uh, deviate away from that neoliberal, neoconservative state that we've been in for the past 40, 50 years. So in my opinion, I, I do think that Joe Rogan is right that Michelle Obama could win the presidency, not because of her policies or her positions, but because of the fact that the Democratic Party is so devoid of a personality, is so devoid of a figure, and they need somebody that can do the bidding of of the oligarchs and the plutocrats and the people that actually run our economy. So that's what I think will essentially happen if Michelle Obama does run in the future, maybe in 2024 or even before then. So, yeah, I mean, that's just my overall thought and uh, opinion on that. I mean, the Democratic Party is screwed by all kinds. I mean, they're going to lose the midterms. Um, It's going to be like the Gingrich Revolution in 94. They're going to lose the midterms. Um, they're probably going to lose the presidency. Who knows? Maybe AOC will run in 2028. I saw AOC, uh, maskless in Miami. Uh, that was so hilarious. Uh, and how, like, she accused her, uh, her haters or accused people criticizing her online as haters that just want to sleep with her. I'm like, why? This is a sitting congresswoman. Why are you saying this on Twitter? This is, I like... Like I I live for the day where where Congresswomen and congressmen and anybody that holds a public office doesn't use Twitter for self-promotion and only uses Twitter just to say the policies that they bring to the table. That's all I want to hear. Like I just want to hear a congressperson say on Twitter, hey, I brought this bill up. I I co-signed it. Uh, I'm waiting for it to be passed. That's it. I I just want to hear that from you. That's all I want to hear. I just want to hear the policies that you're proposing and what bills you're signing, whether it's for the uh, people or against the people. I just want to know that if you're on Twitter. I don't want to know you you know, going on Twitter and saying, hey, here's my book, 300 pages of platitudes. That was obviously ghostwritten. I don't want that. I want policies. I want you to be discussing policies. That's it. That's all I want you to be on twitter for not for self-promotion not for accusing your your uh, critics as haters and for saying that they want to sleep with you i don't want that i that's a very bad way of going about things i mean i don't know why i'm discussing AOC. i'm probably i'm pretty sure she's gonna gonna run for president in 2028 2032 and she's gonna brand and she's gonna be like the obama of her generation you know she'll Talk about hope and change, and she'll say how we need to uh, you know, pull back the state and and end all the wars. And then as soon as she gets into office, she's just gonna continue them. it's a tale as old as time. Uh, but again, it's one of those things where you know I, I mean all of these people, whether it's Michelle Obama or whether it's AOC, they all say the same old thing. They all say they want to enact change. And they realize that it's way too difficult to make change, or they lie to the American people and, and sort of continue the aiding of what's already been benefiting the elite in this country. So, I mean, that's what it's going to come down to if Michelle Obama or AOC does run for presidency, and if they do win it, uh, nothing more, nothing less. Uh, so, yeah, that's just my overall uh, belief in that. I do think Joe Rogan is right, by the way. I mean, I, I think... Michelle Obama could win the presidency, but she's just making way too much money. I mean, she's a producer on Netflix, right? Like, that's a lot of money. And I'm pretty sure they have, like, a like a production firm where other people do their work, and they just sit back and just, like, collect the money. Uh, executive producing is, if you guys don't know, in Hollywood, it's basically how the rich get richer. Uh, it's, like, if some executive producers, I'm, I assume, do work, but if you're, like, a big-name executive producer... You're just doing it to get more money. It's basically like investing in the stock market. Uh, You don't put any effort into it. Like if you invest in Walmart stock or Target stock, you're not actively working for Target. You're just investing your money. And then in a few months, see if it goes up or down and whether or not you should uh, cash in your chips or hold it. And it's basically the same thing with executive producing if you're a big time Hollywood producer. And that's, what Michelle Obama and Barack Obama are doing with their production house and other investments that they've been doing as well outside of, outside of their office. So yeah, that's basically my opinion on all of that. Uh, Joe Rogan is right on that, but I, I don't think the possibility of her running and to ruin her image will be likely. All right, uh, let's get into our next bit of discussion here. Uh, I really, really enjoy this topic and uh, I want to discuss with you. Jake Paul roasted Dana White for fighter pay on Saturday and it was amazing I truly truly loved it uh, this is from Bleacher report they tweeted out Jake Paul has offered to retire from boxing and fight Jorge Masvidal in the UFC if Dana White agrees to guarantee UFC fighters 50% of the UFC's annual revenue increase fire pay to 50k per fight minimum is currently 12,000, and provide long-term health care to fighters This is amazing. I truly, truly loved it. Maybe not so much the first point because, again, the UFC is a business. And to make the UFC democratic and to get fighters involved and to be, like, co-owners of the company and to get a percentage of the annual revenues, I don't think that's good. But in terms of healthcare, in terms of increasing fighter pay, that's amazing. And... I I truly love this. I truly, truly love this. Jake Paul. I know that you know people hate him, but he knows how to get people on his side. Like he knows how to play the villain and play the hero, and he's currently playing the hero, and that's great. I mean, to see the amount of UFC fighters that hated him do a complete 180 because of these proposals is amazing. But Dana White then responded uh, to Jake Paul's video, Uh, and he was like, "You didn't respond to the challenge because apparently they they had a feud earlier before and." Uh, not to digress too much from what i was discussing but uh jake paul accused dana white of doing cocaine and whatnot and i'm not going to comment on his substance abuse so that's up to dana wife to discuss you know obviously if you're suffering through substance abuse you know go get the help you deserve that you need uh because you know i want to see everybody do well and flourish and whether you're a billionaire or whether you're a person who's homeless you know getting the right prop right and proper treatment is very important and To take the right steps is very important so I won't comment on that uh, but he said that he will allow the fight to happen if Jake Paul gets tested for roids or whatnot like whatever it's what I mean they're all on roids so Dana uh, Dana White said that uh, Jake Paul can't sell pay-per-views as well in the video that you released on Saturday this is the entire video by the way like like Dana White was all over the place on Saturday night with his uh, reaction to the original response of Jake Paul uh, saying that he can't sell pay-per-views and whatnot, which is a lie. I mean, Jake Paul can absolutely sell pay-per-views. I mean, he'll, he sold like 350000 400000 for the second Willie fight, around half a million for the first. So he can definitely sell pay-per-views. And uh, Jake Paul then offered the final ultimatum on Sunday, uh, saying that he's at St. Bart's and that Dana White is an unhappy billionaire and and that Dana White can drug test him for steroids whenever he wants uh this was an amazing video jake paul is i mean he's a magician man i've never seen a person understand social media better than jake paul i've never seen an indiv- individual get on a billionaire's nerves more than jake paul and do i believe that this is an entire charade and that he's only doing this to get dana white to respond to him absolutely do i think that he really cares about health care or fighter pay hell no like i don't like this is a man that's at saint bart's the same place as you know Jeff Bezos and the same place as you know all these other sort of affluent, influential people uh, that needed a vacation. You know, I'm sure I'm pretty sure Saint Bart's paid for all these people's vacations, anyways, uh, to get people to talk about and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is incredible. This is amazing. Do I believe that he's completely being honest about wanting to get UFC fighters healthcare and whatnot? I think it's he's lying. I think it's a fabrication. But still. The fact that people are discussing UFC fighter pay is great. I love it. I mean, there's this UFC fighter who was really good. I forget the name of it of him, but I'm sure there are countless stories about it where he was a UFC fighter, did well, uh, had a recent losing streak, decided to uh, the UFC decided to cut him, and then a few months later, he's busting tables. That should not be happening. Like, if you're a person that did his time in the company, if you're a person that spent five, ten years in the company, you should be adequately paid, you know, you should be adequately uh, be given the correct treatment and the right health care and, you know, not having to get second opinions or third or fourth opinions from other doctors if you know that that the doctor is great at the UFC, you know, I mean, these are all, you know, discussions that people have and. And the fact that people are discussing UFC fighter pay is great. And I think the more that people discuss, you know, how UFC fighters are often get mistreated and, uh, you know, misplaced by the company for the organization that they actively help out. uh, I mean, I think that's a step in the right direction for it. And again, the UFC is incredibly different from any other sport where, you know, while in football, you know, CTE is prevalent and the UFC, it's even more so. I mean, you're, having strikes to the head, you know, you're ca- you're causing brain damage each and every time you fight, you know, assuming that you're standing up the entire time. So, I mean, that's one of those things where, you know, I, I do think that every UFC fighter should be given some form of health care, you know, they should be given some form of treatment, they should be given some form of an adequate wage. I don't know about the numbers of it, but I, I do think that you should be given Way more than say twelve thousand. I mean, that's a thousand a month. You can't live on a thousand month on rent. I mean, you can't you can't do that. <laughs> I mean, since when has anybody paid a thousand dollars for rent? Uh, so I mean, yeah. I mean, I think this is good. And honestly, if Jake Paul enters the UFC, he's going to lose. I mean, UFC and boxing are way too incredibly different aspects. I mean, there's a reason why. Uh, Conor McGregor made the decision to go from UFC to boxing. Then Floyd May- Mayweather went from boxing to UFC because one's stand up and one's you know strikes to the head and maybe strikes to the chest and whatnot and into the stomach abdomen. The other is doing judo and doing BJJ and being able to roll and making sure that uh, you are able to get your uh, opponent in the right position to tap him out. And that's an entirely different component to that of just standing up and, you know, uh, punching each other in the head. Again, I know I'm sort of simplifying and diluting that of boxing, but it it is a very different specimen to that of UFC. So this is great. I really love this. I I think uh, Jake Paul has every right to call out Dana White. Whether he's being sincere or not, that's up for debate. But this is the step in the right direction for Jake Paul, and this just proves that Jake Paul can play the villain, he can play the hero, and he can get people on his side. And to see the amount of UFC fighters on his side, to see, honestly, left-wing populist on his side, I've seen a lot of people, Bernie Sanders supporters, supporting Jake Paul. I mean, this is all great. I love it. Uh, The more that we discuss about the mistreatment of workers and whatnot, especially UFC fighters, because... UFC fighters, it's an entirely different specimen to that of, say, like regular athletes, to say basketball and, and tennis and whatnot. This is entirely different, and I really, really enjoy it. I really, really appreciate it. I think this should be celebrated, and overall, I think Jake Paul is right when it comes to his overall back and forth with Dana White. So yeah, I mean that's just amazing. I really, really I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. The entire back and forth was just amazing, and Twitter blew up Saturday, like January first, everybody was at home. Nobody was outside. um maybe you were for New Year's Day, you know celebrating with your family and friends. But if you were at home, you were like, "Wow, this is awesome uh i was I remember going on Twitter and then watching uh the movie that i will that I will be recommending from a weekly pick in just one second but uh yeah that saturday was just hectic and amazing and by the way there were no ufc events on saturday so this was the perfect time to have some sort of discussion and conversation back in the loop you know even though there was no ufc on saturday they still made headlines you know espn was still talking about them you know i'm sure fox news was talking about them you know i'm sure a lot of other sports sites were talking about them so it's great i love it you know i think this is something that should be uh celebrated by, all, by everybody. Uh, so yeah, that's just my overall uh, thoughts and opinions on all of that. And uh, let's get into uh, our final bit of discussion for today. Uh, so this is a little bit sad news um, to really discuss. because, uh, uh, well, I didn't really know these individuals uh, to see them, you know, die in like the final week of December and the final week of the year. That sort of puts everything into perspective. Uh, so, Betty White and Joan Didion have passed away in the past week. Betty White passed away at the age of 99 um, uh, on December 31st. Joan Didion passed away December 23rd at the age of 87. It's just a sad, sad news all around. It really is. And um, obviously, Joan Didion is one of the most accomplished authors. Uh, I've never really read a book, but that will definitely change uh, this coming year. I'll definitely read a book by Joan Didion. I know Play as a Lays is like a classic. Uh, and while I wasn't that familiar with Joan Didion, uh, in comedy we often have a saying, our favorite comic's favorite comic. You know, people often describe that with Dave Attell. You know, they describe that which a bunch of club guys that, you know, do well. Greer Barnes as well. Um... Joan Didion was your favorite author's favorite author. Uh, Bret Easton Ellis is one of my favorite authors, and I heard Brett Easton Ellis say in interviews that he would often like rip uh, or sort of like uh, bite that of, of of Joan Didion. You know, she would he would he would often be influenced by Joan Didion and his writings, and I think that's kind of evident with his earlier works such as Less Than Zero, Rules of Attraction. And uh, Betty White, you know, passed away at age 99. You know, again, a person that was an icon for the sitcom era. Uh, you know, she was very busy. Uh, she was very uh, prolific in her showgirls era. Uh, I, I think that's the name of her sitcom in the 80s that aired on a, on NBC. Hopefully that's the name of the sitcom. I'm, I might be wrong. But again, she was very important. I remember her more so from Community. I saw her in an episode of Community, uh, you know, that show on NBC with Don Glover and Joel uh, Joel McHale and Danny Pudi. So I remember her more for that than say anything else. Uh, But I remember just how much she just had so much love for acting, you know, even in her late 80s and 90s and how she was still kicking and and still doing well and still wanted to be in front of the camera and, and getting You know, still had a love for her art form, you know, and I think both of these individuals, regardless of how you may feel of them, you know, you can't say that they didn't love their art form. You know, they loved it. They loved, for Joan Didion, she was such an accomplished writer. For Betty White, she was such an accomplished accomplished actor. You know, I mean, they were amazing. And if anything, you know, what it's made me realize is that, you know, even though both of them passed away peacefully, you know, one died uh three weeks before their 100th birthday another person died when they were 87 they lived long lives you know obviously you know you know death is a certainty in everybody's life you know we're all going to die at some point in time uh but it made me realize you know and we often discuss this with the new years and whatnot that you know time is precious you know that you know the times that we have together the times that the moments that we share together you know it's it that matters in the long run you know everything uh you know, whether it's something that's hedonistic or something that's possessive or something that we want to attain, whether it's a, whether it's a new car or whether it's a new home, all of that at the end of the day is fickle. You know, what matters is the experiences and moments that we have together and you know, I just thought, you know, for the New Year's that it's important to sort of keep that in mind. And you know, I think you know, everything happens for a reason. I sort of believe in that and I, I do think that these this news These deaths sort of make you realize the preciousness of life, you know, as if we already haven't learned that already. You know, I mean, I remember when Kobe Bryant died, you know, it took me a good few days to get over it. And what I'm still, I mean, you're never over death, but, you know, I remember the first few days when that happened, I was like, I don't know how I can go back to work. I don't know how I can go back to living. And then you sort of realize, well, Kobe Bryant worked, Kobe Bryant lived. I mean, Kobe Bryant was the worker. I mean, he would go to practice, you know, yelling at his teammates and, and and you know, people on staff for not trying their best. And that sort of gave people the inspiration or gave me the inspiration to just keep working and to keep thriving and, and to keep progressing. And that's what Kobe would like would like people to do. And I think a lot of people really took that in stride. So I think, you know, this is very different than that of Kobe, because Kobe was like forty-one when he passed away. Uh, Betty White and, and uh, uh, Joe and Diddy and they sort of passed later in their years uh, and that doesn't make their deaths any th- less important than that of Kobe Bryant but I do think that it sort of makes you understand the, the beauty of life and that you know each and every moment that we have we should really be able to strive to really build off of our connections and to focus on what's really important which is the families that we have the friends that we have and to just focus on things that we can control. You know, we can't control, you know, as as, as I've discussed on this podcast, we can't disc- we can't control Gillian Maxwell. We can't control uh, you know, tennis, you know, I actually talked about tennis earlier in this podcast episode, believe it or not. Uh, you know, we can't control Uh, things that are happening within our political and societal culture. We can't control uh, things that are outside of our wants and needs that we can't control. But what we can control is the people around us. And what we can't control is the people that we talk to on a day-to-day basis and check up on, on a day-to-day basis. That's very much important than that of say uh, things that are happening above us that we may not be privy to, you know? So I, I think, these debts, you know, not to say, not to diminish it or anything, but it does make you realize the beauty of life and that, you know, everything happens for a reason. And that even though uh, we all die at the end, you know, it's very important to focus on what we have. And what we have are each other. And as long as we have each other, as long as we're able to stick by one another, as long as we're able to make sure that we put our best foot forward for success and for happiness then at the end of the day that matters way more than say what's happening thousands of miles away that we may have no control over you know it matters way more than say what some random congresswoman on twitter said about her critics you know it matters way more than what you know <laughs> what an individual said on on social media about uh, about something that they've been accused of you know like there, there are far more important things that are in your life than, say, this, you know uh, Way more important than say, you know thinking about the hypotheticals and and getting into the uh, into the finer Grittier areas of our society, you know, and being able to sort of value uh, Your loved ones your family your friends that takes precedence and that should take precedence over anything and if these that's have sort of if the, if I could say anything about Joan Denny Seth or Betty White Seth is that, you know, having that belief matters way more. And I'm excited to start off the new year having that in mind, instilling that in my mind, and to really focus on the things that I value. And hopefully a lot of people value those same things as well, or value different things, but value uh, things that are within their grasp as well. And I think that's something that we should all take away from the deaths of these two major icons and celebrities, and more importantly, figures that really cultivated a role in our society at large. So yeah, I mean, that's just my overall uh, opinion on the deaths of these individuals. Uh, my map behind me is flanking on me. And it's probably going to roll up any second and like just like roll into a ball of... of, of Nothing, and it's probably going to fall behind me. Uh, If you're on YouTube, you're going to know exactly what I'm saying at this moment in time. So uh, I'm probably going to have to uh, do my weekly pick as of right now. So each week, I recommend a book, a piece of art, a film uh, that I really enjoy. This week, I'll be recommending Greg Coolidge's Employee of the Month. So this is my weekly pick. Uh, It's trash, by the way. This movie is extremely trash it has a 20 percent on rotten tomatoes but it's my kind of trash as i've said i love mgk's tickets to my downfall i'm not going to defend the album to anybody i know i got a not good by a, a specific bald dude with glasses and a flannel that he wears to indicate whether an album is good or bad uh, but this movie is my kind of trash and i truly love it it it's a movie that stars dane cook who works at Super Club. Think of Berkeley, Jensen, Costco. I used to work at Berkeley and Jensen for like five, six months. Uh, but it stars Dane Cook as this box boy who's this sort of burnt out loser. You know, he's, he was like a stock trader or a web developer in his previous heyday, but lost all of his grandma's money and has, now has to resort to living with his grandma. And it stars Dane Cook as a box boy trying to move up the ranks of Super Club uh, and compete with Vincent, the cashier. To be employee of the month to get the affection of uh, Jennifer or sorry Jen- Jessica Simpson's character who plays the love interest for Dan Cook, and it's very akin to that of say a '90s Adam Sandler film. So if you like a '90s Adam Sandler film, go check it out because I really enjoy this film for what it is. It's a cheesy, corny, cringy, you know, sad, and Adam Sandler. Uh, the think of the Waterboy or Happy Gilmore, but with Dane Cook in it. By the way, Dan Cook rules. I want to say that. I, I love Louis C.K., and I said, you know, Louis C.K., sorry, is a great special, which it is. Go check it out if you haven't already. But Dane Cook is awesome, by the way. I love Dane Cook. The BK Lounge is a great joke. The Kool-Aid Man, another great joke. Go go listen to uh, Harmful of Swallowed, the the first-ever comedy album that Dane Cook ever released. Great, great album. So many great hits under Dane Cook's, uh, you know, comedy specialist, you know, vicious circle, rough around the edges. He released retaliation. That was like number one or number two on the billboard charts. So it was like charting with green day and Eminem. Like that, like Dan cook was a pioneer of standup. Like, and the fact that people don't give him as just do, I think that's kind of sad, but Dan cook, uh, employee of the month. It's a good film. I really enjoyed it. I needed something to sort of, uh, suppress me or sort of like compose me during the holidays and I was like, you know what? Why not just watch a conventional flick, like a good popcorn flick, such as Employee of the Month? So go check it out. Um, you're not gonna be you're not gonna be wooed by the acting, you know. You're not gonna be wooed by uh, the direction of it. It's just a good story uh, of this person that is clearly a loser, but still wants to do his best to not only help out his grandmother but also help out himself and jessica Sim- simpson's character as well uh so yeah it's a good film uh go check it out greg Coolidge's employee of the month uh it's very sort of 2000s ask if Dan cook starring it wasn't any indication of it so Go check it out, Greg Coolidge's Employee of the Month. You wouldn't be mistaken if you didn't, or if you did. So go check it out if you haven't already. All right, guys. So that's all the time I have for you today. Make sure you like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Make sure you uh, subscribe. Uh, make sure you subscribe to both my podcast channel and my podcast clips channel. Make sure you follow me on Instagram and Twitter at L J Tucker A J A Y T H A K K A R with an underscore at the end on both my Instagram and my Twitter. Make sure you rate and subscribe on iTunes. And apparently Spotify now has this uh, rate option on it. So make sure you rate on on Spotify as well. They give like a five-star warning or five-star rating out of it. So go rate me on uh, Spotify if you haven't already. And uh, I think that's about all the time I have for you guys today. I want to start off something light, something easy to start the new year, not go too much into it, not go too back into it, just something light and easy and enjoyable for you guys. So I thought this podcast would be great. Hopefully you guys like the setup. Leave me a comment down below if you don't uh maybe i'll get a new light or a different light i don't know uh but anyways guys that's all the time i have for you guys for today thank you so much for watching thanks thank you so much for listening and i'll see you guys on thursday we'll definitely be talking about the atp cup some matches that happened and things that happened outside of our societal culture so guys thank you so much for watching thanks so much for listening thank you so much for tuning in and i'll see you guys on thursday all right guys peace see y'all